following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Well, this morning uh, we're going to be continuing on in, in Luke chapter 9, verses 37 to 43. And uh, I gave a set a topic the other day, and then last night, probably around 9.30, I changed it. So <laughs> it's just the way it's the Lord said this is what it is. So uh, the, the topic this morning is not that. <laughs> it's But do we as believers suffer from a lack of power? Do we as believers suffer from a lack of power? You know, and as we read today's passage, the problem as I see it unfolds before the Lord. You know, Jesus comes down and all of a sudden this father comes up to the disciples and they made a request to the disciples to heal heal his son. And as Pastor Colin calls them, the boys... The boys weren't able to handle the young child, weren't able to heal him. So the father went on to make the same request to Jesus. And, you know, putting my, I, you know, I don't know about you. Does anybody have a favorite apostle or disciple? I'm like a Peter. I see Peter as the marine of the group. You know, he sees the hill, takes the hill. Not a whole lot of couth attack. They, I didn't go to charm school until I became an officer, and I was already messed up by that time. Uh, <laughs> so Peter was kind of like this rough and ready guy. And, you know, I'm sure that they were just crushed when the father comes up and says, Hey, you guys, they don't, they, they're not cutting it. You know, they were probably devastated. So today, as we look at this story... What I want to do is pick out of it uh, the Lord's message for them at the time. And a timeless truth that I believe uh, will apply to us today. So let's look at Luke chapter 9, verse 37 to 43. And on the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And you all remember what happened just prior to this. They had gone to the Mount of Transfiguration and the Okay, And verse 38, And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seized him, and he suddenly cries out, and it convulsed him, so that he foams at the mouth, and it shatters him, and and it will hardly leave him. Verse 40 says, And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation. It's pretty harsh. O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And while he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And they were all astonished at the majesty of God. There's a lot of stuff in that those seven verses. I think, just me, every believer needs to be able to recognize that their ability to be effective in the work of God 
is wholly reliant upon them being fully surrendered to God at all times. We were talking a little bit earlier and get ready. Belief is 100%. It's not, well, I believe 95% of this, but there's 5% that I don't quite get. Uh, I shared this story once before. I'll do it again. I had a guy when I was pastoring up in Greenwood in the Panhandle, and uh, Bill had, they had diagnosed a mass on his stomach, and they were convinced, the doctors were convinced that it was cancer. So I take, we, the deacons and myself, we went the night before surgery, we anointed him with oil, prayed over him, boom. Next morning I go with Marie and Bill up to the hospital, doctor says, it's about a three-hour surgery, why don't you go get a cup of coffee? Marie said, no, I want to wait. Twenty minutes later, the doctor comes in and says, we opened him up, there's nothing there. Nothing there. So Sunday morning, I get up in front of the church and say, what a blessing. Bill had nothing there. And the church almost unanimously at that time said, wow, can you believe that? And I'm like, really? We've been praying on that. You know, <laughs> where is your belief? You know, but how many, come on now, if you're honest, we do that in here too. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, he was, he had COVID. Well, no, he didn't. Yeah, he did. No, he didn't. Oh, can you believe that? Yeah, I can. You know, so we have to be so totally surrendered to him at all time. And, and Dr. Luke describes the events. And when he, when the, the father, be, he was begged, he begged, he was desperate. He begged Jesus to cast out this demon out of his child in the light that nine of his disciples weren't able to do it. And I, and I think the disciples' inability is highlighted by the fact that another who was not in their midst or in their number was successfully casting out demons in that area. And if you look at Luke uh, 9, 49 and 50, uh, in 49 it says, Now John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow with us. In verse 50, Jesus said to him, Do not forbid him, for he who is not against us is on our side. Pretty powerful. Don't forbid him. He might not be one of the twelve, but he's doing good stuff. So the problem that unfolds for us today is that the disciples, they were what? They were unable to cast out the demons. And you know, in Luke uh, 9, verses 1 to 6, they had clearly been doing that before. So they had the power, and then it didn't work for them. And that was a probably a very embarrassing problem for them, because they were unable to cast out the demon at this time, in the now. And the disciples' frustration in today's passage was that they simply couldn't help a demonized child. So, my friends, I want to offer an observation this morning. You know, you got to remember, I didn't go to charm school until I've been an enlisted Marine for nine years. 
So sometimes I think and I just say things. So, but I I I don't want to be harsh this morning or anything like that. That's not my intent. But I think an observation that I've had is oftentimes believers get into what I call a mutual admiration society, and they think that everyone is doing their best all the time. Let me tell you, it ain't so. A lot of you that know me might say, hey, Fred seems to have his act together. Fred had a complete meltdown in the month of September. And in October, I had to be hospitalized because I was out of it. Physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, crash down. I think that's the first time I told Mosi in here. But Mosi would say, hey, he seems to have his act together. You know what? We all have little chinks in the armor, don't we? We're not always what we put. You know, it's like, <laughs> I call it the church face. You know, you leave your house and you're arguing with the old lady on the way here. You, that guy cut me off. You pull in the parking lot, you each under. Praise God. <laughs> Love you, brother. How you doing? Get out to the parking lot after service, goes down. That guy spoke for 47 minutes. <laughs> Amen, John. <laughs> you know, so we put our church faces on. <laughs> that is the truth. I, I believe that. So we have this mutual admiration society. You know, we all, oh, they're so, they're so good. They're so good. The sad fact is that it's just not true. And so this morning, I want to cut straight to the crux and deal with the real issue, and really not to try to puff up the egos of the disciples that were involved. Now, maybe some of my comments this morning are going to ping your heart. Uh, I can assure you they did mine. Uh, and I believe that the issue at hand was not a lack of power. Because Jesus' words make it plain that the disciples could have exercised the demon from the child, if they had prayed and fasted. And they did not experience the power of God for what I see is two primary reasons. One, they didn't feel the need to pray and fast. I'm, I'm pretty sure, it doesn't say in Scripture, but I'm pretty sure that they, they got the secret handshake from Jesus. He said, go out and cast demons, heal sick people. And they just went off and do, did it. It was almost like, that's my job. Can do it. Jesus told me I could. But they weren't really praying and fasting. What did Jesus do when things, 90% of the time, he went off to a place to pray and speak with his Father? You know, the, I believe this. The power of God really doesn't come to us unless we really pray and Scripture tells us to fast. You know, I, I, I was telling people this morning, I, I've done the 30-day Daniel fast. I've done the, okay, I'm not going to eat this for a week. I'm not a big breakfast eater or a lunch eater, so I use those times to pray. You know, that's a fast for me. Uh, fasting is just, in my mind, giving up something and spending the time that you would have done that in with the Lord.
you, but we, you know, I really hate it though when I see somebody that tell they're on a fast and they get this long face. Oh, I'm in a fast. Haven't had meat or bread in a week. Is that really the posture the Lord wants us to have? It should be a joyful thing, you know. Now we don't know specifically. Scripture doesn't tell us what the disciples actually did, but we do know that what they were doing was not effective, wasn't working. And I believe that there's only one way to do the work of the Lord. Pop quiz. It's the Lord's way. That's the only way. It's not Fred's way. It's not Alex's way. It's not the pastor's way. It's the Lord's way. So, this morning's big question. When's the last time you prayed in earnest and fasted over something? Our text this morning suggests four things that will bring this passage, I think, into a clearer focus for for the disciples, but also for us. The first point is there was a return to disappointment. A return to disappointment. Now remember last week, uh, Jesus, Moses, Elijah, Peter, James, John, they're all present at the Transfiguration. And, And that was a super spiritual high. And then the very next day, they couldn't even rest in the experience for a few days. They're back with the great crowds. And if you look at verse 37, Jesus didn't come down to relax. No, the crowds meet him. You know, in the common vernacular, there was no rest for the weary. You know, he went right at it. And from the crowd, a man begins to cry out. And I can imagine that this cry was a a cry of burden, a cry of hurt. A scared, disappointed cry for help. It just wasn't, hey Jesus, heal heal my son. I think it's like he was broken. He was beyond, he was at his wit's end. All right, Bill. I guess I wasn't good enough. He's listening to Charles Stanley. (laughs) You know, you can have fun at church. (laughs) So this father was the father of a child who was possessed. Now, how do you think he felt? So I'm a history kind of guy. And and I, I came up with a list of some famous folks when they were broken. Alexander the Great, he conquered Persia, but he broke down and he wept because his troops were too exhausted to push on to India. There's a man named Hugo Grotus. If you're a lawyer, you might have heard of him. He's the father of modern uh, international law. And he said just before he died, I have accomplished nothing worthwhile in my life. Now, John Quincy Adams sixth president of the United States. He wasn't a Lincoln or a Reagan, but perhaps he was a decent leader. And he wrote in his diary, My life has been spent in vain in idle aspirations and in ceaseless rejection prayers that something would be the result of my existence beneficial to my species. Anybody ever read Treasure Island by Robert Louis Stevenson? He wrote this. 
Here lies one who meant well, who tried little and failed much. So little and so much to do. You ever get that feeling? You know, as, as you start getting older, though I feel like I'm 66 is the new 40, uh, but sometimes you ever think, I know I have, what difference have I made? What difference have I made? Have I just been taking up a seat in the boat? Or have I really made a difference? You know, great people, well-known people, just like us, they're played with their own pitfalls. But I think it comes from negativity. So I'm going to inject maybe a, a little bit of practical observation this morning. You know, has anybody ever gone on a retreat, a church retreat or things like that? You know, when you come back from a church retreat, you're all pumped up. The worst thing for me, for my churches, was when I went to a retreat, is like I came back wired. Hey, we're going to do this now. But then what happens is we get a little bit disappointed because some of the people sitting in the seat, they don't have the same spiritual high. <laughs> you know, they, they're not as pumped up. So, here's some application. Do you suffer from being called or looked upon in your eyes as maybe being a little bit slow or stupid or fat or ugly or unable to do as good as others? Now, I want you all to know this morning, I don't think that about anybody here. But we need to be honest with ourselves this morning. Do we limit ourselves with our own negativity, with our own unbelief? Does it bother you that you feel that you just aren't as good as others, or you perceive others to be? That sometimes you feel like, you, I just don't have it all together? Well, here's my simple solution to that. Don't be. Others have their own issues in life as well. We all have issues. You know, I worked for a man for a couple of years, and we became and still are close friends. And I liked and respected him as a person, and he was also a leader in the community. And he told me one day of his silent horror. He said, Fred... Do you know what it's like to have hundreds of people, hundreds of families relying on you for their income and livelihood, even when times are bad? No, I don't. Do you know what it's like to owe a million dollars? No, I don't. And he explained that that was the reason why he didn't sit still. He was always on the go. He constantly kept his finger on the pulse of various business ventures and things that he could do. And he had to pay attention to a lot of things. And guess what? He wouldn't let anybody else help him. You know, folks, disappointment will tear down your best efforts. Don't let it happen. I believe we should do our best for the Lord and not accept mediocrity. You know, why would we give the Lord anything but our best? And sometimes we do. My second point is that there's a, there's a realism of the activity that was behind the scene. 
if we look back to our text, the Father is coming to Jesus after the disciples had tried and they had failed. So imagine you walk into your home and your only child is in a seizure and he's foaming at the mouth, flopping around on the floor like a fish. The Greek word used for convulsion is actually the English, is the root of the English word for spasm. Now, I can relate with guys, I can relate with women, but in this instance I want to relate to guys. So fathers, if you're a father, I want you to picture this. This is your child, and this scene is a little bit freaky, and personally it's anguishing because we... We don't know. So maybe we have a better appreciation this morning for why this man is so demanding and makes his case. He keeps, he makes it. Have anybody ever seen someone having an epileptic fit? When I was a young sergeant, I had a major in my office that dropped out of his chair, started foaming at his mouth, flopping around. And all I could do was remember a little bit of CPR and first aid. I took a belt and put it between his teeth so he wouldn't bite his tongue off and stuff like that. Scared the bejesus out of me. You know, it's like wow. But Major Barnum, he was he was he was in spasms. He was alive. Now I've heard of other people who had these episodes and they don't make it. Some die. So armed with that picture. As a father and a grandfather, guys, if, if you saw someone convulsing and foaming, I believe we would act quickly and be gravely serious about what we would do. We wouldn't just sit there and say, well, what do I do? We'd do something. So this man was real, and he had obvious reasons to seek help. But he obviously has some degree of belief some degree of knowledge and faith in Jesus to be able to address this situation. And if you think that the crowd described as a great multitude has only one man crying out, then I think your vision's a little small. You know, don't you think Jesus, this crowd, why'd they come to see him? They all wanted to be healed. They all had problems. You know, but this guy got Jesus' attentions. And, and you know, I, I, it, it might sound harsh, but I believe it's true that if you have nothing for Jesus, then you don't need to be following him. If you got nothing for him, why, why, why be there? What are we supposed to do? Love God. Love others. But it's not all about me. What's God want from us? Us! You know, there's, does that say radical surrender there still? That's what he wants. Which is a, from a military mind that I have, that is like, the last thing I ever want to do is surrender. Surrender means all is lost. I give up. But isn't that what God wants? To give up and say, you got it? It's all about you and not about me. So these people, they wanted to hear him. They wanted to see Jesus and they wanted to be near them. 
And so, like I said, I can't think, I can't believe that this father was the only one crying out for help. However, it's the only one that Jesus addresses in Scripture, so I have to take that for what it's worth. Let me ask you a question. Excuse me. When you have pain or anguish or trials and tribulations in your life, do you call and ask the pastor or others for prayer? Do we do that? We do that. Or do you pray to the Lord? Now, folks, I'll be honest with you. I have no problem with someone asking me for prayer. No problem. I'll pray with you, pray for you. However, you better make sure that you've already prayed about that situation first. Don't come to me. Good God. You know, disappointment will tear down our best efforts. So like I said, do your best for the Lord. Don't accept mediocrity. Secondly, the situation and the anguish in this man's life and in his heart is real. This isn't a parable. This isn't a parable. Men, this father felt that he was imminently about to lose his son. My third point is, he had gone through the appropriate channels, and it didn't work. He went through the disciples, didn't work for him. And he tells Jesus that he took the problem to the nine disciples who weren't on the Mount of Transfiguration, and it was absolutely clear to Jesus that in his absence, the remaining disciples kind of fell apart and did not do the right the things quite right as he had taught them to do. You know, these men and before had all casted out demons. So what were they doing wrong or differently this time? And then to take make the situation worse. And this scripture is a pretty harsh scripture. He starts talking about a faithless and perverse generation. You know, I'm just positive that the disciples, they were just tickled to death to hear that comment. Yeah, we're doing good. Especially after the Father had now dined them out, you know. <sighs> Do we live in a, a faithless and perverse generation today? You know, we, um, we were talking earlier this nation, 246 years ago, since then we have become biblically illiterate. Back in the day of the founding fathers and the pilgrims, and the Bible was their source document in their house. I'm a fan of Western movies. Just watched one the other day. This old miner up in a ghost town, he had his Bible next to the bed. Anybody read the Bible? Raise your hand. No, you don't. You study the Bible. You read a novel, you study the Bible. Okay? You see, oh, good. I got you, sucked you in. Didn't even have to put any bait on that hook. Just do a little shiny object. Got gotcha, you, I got gotcha. you. Uh, folks, we, we study the Bible. 
It has nothing to do with the message. Go out and get yourself a good concordance. Get yourself a Bible dictionary. Take your Bible. Read it. And look, context is everything. You know, don't cherry pick verses. Read them. They're all, and if you don't understand that one, go the one before, the one after, the chapter before, the chapter after. <coughs> anyway, this father understood the idea of being faithful. In the early 1980, I'm sorry, 1800s, there was a stormy night in Washington, D.C., and this elderly couple walks into a lobby of a small hotel and they ask for a room. And there must have been a convention going on in D.C. in the 1800s, and the clerk said the rooms were all filled in all the hotels in town. He said, but I can't send an elderly, fine-looking couple like you out in the rain. And he said, would you be willing to sleep in my room? And the couple hesitated, but the, the clerk insisted. So the next morning when the man paid the bill, he said to him, you're the kind of man that should be managing the best hotel in the United States. Someday I'll build you one. And the clerk just said, yeah, okay. Well, a few, a few years later, the clerk receives this letter from the elderly man recalling the stormy, stormy night and asking him to come to New York. And he, in the envelope was a round-trip ticket. And when the clerk arrived, the host took him to the corner of 5th Avenue and 34th Street, and there stood a magnificent new building. And the man said, that is the hotel I built for you to manage. That man was William Waldorf Astor, and the hotel was the original Waldorf Astor. Astoria. And the young clerk, George C. Bolt, became its first manager. Like the desk clerk, the father in our text understood faithfulness, didn't he? The man was faithful. He said he was going to do something, he did it. The problem with the father was that his initial efforts didn't work. So now the father has come directly to Jesus and he says, I implored your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. So another application point this morning is you have the ability to see issues. We all have it. Anybody not able to point out it? I know my wife can point out issues with me all the time. She's good at it. That's her spiritual gift. <laughs> Love you, baby. Uh, anybody have a room to rent for a couple of I can break in a bedroom for you if you'd like. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs> Killer. Now, what the disciples actually did, we don't know. But I don't believe that Jesus was overtly happy with the, uh, the outcome. But the fourth point is that the power of the Lord is there. The disciples asked why they were unable to cast it out. And in Mark chapter 9, uh, verses 28 and 29 say this, And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Jesus commanded the unclean spirit to come out, and it did with a lot of convulsing. And then what happened? The boy lay as if he were dead. They thought he was dead. And Jesus took his hand, and the boy awoke. 
I'm sure you've heard of the power of the Lord. And maybe even in a prayer mentioned his authority that it's based on his spoken word. Jesus spoke. And what was created, he resp- what the boy did is he responded to the creator's voice. The creator spoke to the boy. He told the demons to leave. He took the boy's hand and lifted him up. My folks, the Lord has the ability to make things happen. Do you believe it? Oh, you shouldn't have said that. Do you fervently pray and fast? Crickets. Crickets. Do you take all the problems in your life to the Lord? And if you don't, why not? Why not? Jesus loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life. Do you want Jesus to move on and just pass you by? You know, think about it. Jesus called Lazarus forth from the grave. Jesus forgave sin. He restored others to life, and he gave sight to the blind. Jesus is clearly able to address all the situations, all the problems, all the troubles, all the angst that we have in our life. But we have to seek him. It's relational. You have to know him. He knows you, but you have to know him. And I often wonder, why is that hard for people? Because it's trust. It's trust in believing in things unseen. We all can tell tales or stories or examples of how the Lord has moved mightily in our life in ways that seem supernatural. Guess what? They are. We have natural problems that Jesus supernaturally resolves. I've never heard of anybody in a car wreck or something bad happening saying, Satan, save me. I hear a lot of felt, God help me, or sweet Carmela the other night saying, Jesus, 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 as I almost ran her into the side of a car, truck. But I'm an excellent driver. I judged the timing perfectly. (laughs) So Jesus was clearly able to address the situation at hand. So I'm going to close, but uh, if you will, I want you to think for a minute and, and visualize having actually been there and seen this happen. Just think, you're there in the crowd The man comes out, screaming, help me, Lord, my son is dying. And you see the Lord cast out the demons and lift the boy up from the ground. You know, we need to remember that Jesus is all-powerful 
and has all authority. Now, at this point, you never hear from the father again. Never hear about the boy again. They just leave and the event really isn't even mentioned again in Scripture until the father and son meet Jesus in heaven. So let me review real quick my four points. The first is the return to disappointment. And then there was a realism of the activity that was going on behind the scene. The boys were failing miserably. The father had gone through all the right channels. He had gone to the disciples, heard they were healers, casters of demons, and they didn't do it. And then he had to totally rely on the power of God. Now, pastor always likes us to give application or, or action. I think application for us today is it is essential for us to acknowledge that our abilities are directly tied to the faith, our faithfulness to God. Our abilities are directly tied to our faithfulness to God. If we don't have that relationship, if we don't trust the Lord, who are we trusting on? Ourselves. And I'll tell you what, I will mess it up left to my own design. Big time. And now I, I, I got to say this too, though. I hadn't put it down in my notes, but you know, sometimes that faithfulness is very hard. You know, the Muslims have a saying: "It's called Inshallah, if God wills it." Well, our faithfulness is sometimes tested, but not testing like. Um, in a bad way. It's kind of like the testing of the refining fire. It, it's used to make us better, to knock off the rough edges, to, to strengthen us. Now, I tell you, personally, I'm not a big fan of that. <laughs> I'm not. You know, I, I kind of like the kind of easier God. <laughs> You know, don't worry, I'll take care of it for you. But God doesn't work like that with me most of the time. He usually says, hey, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you in the crucible for a while. And what's that do? That draws me closer to Him. I have a choice. I do have a choice. I can run like heck and say, enough of this. Or I draw closer. And through my experience, drawing closer seems to be the better way. You know, it's it's not always easy. You know, being a Christian is not for sissies. Uh, we get ridiculed by our friends, family members, people that don't even know anything about us. They see that fish in the back of your car and they're going to talk about you. <laughs> you know, I have to tell you the bumper sticker that drives me crazy. It's a bumper sticker that says, God is my co-pilot. That is so messed up. 
I want God to be my pilot. You know? That's some aviator that thinks that he's in control all the time. I want God to drive that plane, man. You know, <laughs> I'll hold on. If he says pull up, I'll pull up. But, you know, it's all on him. So my challenge this morning is, do you recognize that he can and will help you go through all your life's problems? Jesus doesn't cherry pick. What a big problem to Jerry might be nothing to me. And it's certainly nothing to Jesus that he can't handle. You think Jesus is surprised by anything we come to him about? Any problems we have? We'd be pretty arrogant if we thought we were the most unique person on the planet. Well, you can't be most unique. Unique means unique. You're the only one of his kind. Um, We're not. There's nothing new under the sun. You know? If uh, Marty and the guys want to come up, we'll finish up here. Yes, sir. I'm not done yet. Well, when you're done, can I just say a few words? Absolutely. Okay. Okay, well, now I'm feeling it. Now I'm feeling it. So my, go back to my challenge. Uh, do you recognize that Jesus can and will help you with your life's problems? Do you believe this, that Jesus is not just tied to the events in the Bible? I do. I, be, I believe Jesus is tied to the events in my life. You know, if he had died and not risen, then I'd say, yeah, he's tied to the events in the Bible. And then he really wouldn't be God anyway, so why would I bother with it? But Jesus, by raising from the dead, he's tied to us from birth to death, through every event that's in our life. An angel just got his wings. <laughs> That's telling me to hurry it up. Uh, (laughs) Jesus can heal, can love, can comfort, can forgive, and restore daily, daily, hourly, by the minute. So my question to you this morning is, if you have not... Why not surrender your problems to him today? Why not trust Jesus today? Get rid of the unbelief and focus on the belief. There is, you know, I have studied this Bible many, many times. There's nothing in there that should give me any inkling not to believe in Jesus. Nothing. Everything he said is true. Everything he said he was going to do, he did. Everything he says he's going to do in our lives, he does. What holds us back? That 5%. That little bit of, not so sure about this. You know, What I think is great is that we get to talk to God directly, wherever we're at. 
It's not like we call him on the phone and say, uh, well, God's busy right now. It'd be 40 minutes before you get to one of the angels, but uh, leave a message. <laughs> he doesn't do that. He talks to us right then, right now, if we listen. And I think listening and unbelief are linked. We need to listen. So like I said, why not trust him today? Because based on the authority of Scripture, I can tell you this. He will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.